0: Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and as always, I have brought along my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing this fine morning, sir?
1: I am doing fine, but according to my Fitbit, I am not walking enough.
0: Ah, funny story. I don't know if it's funny or not, but I'll tell you anyways. So at work, I was able to get a free Fitbit. As part of our health initiative thingy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the color of children's nightmares. So I don't know if that was intentional that the free one is ugly as sin. But uh, yeah, but I get a free one hasn't come in yet. But I'm hoping to start uh, tracking my walking and sleeping with it. So
1: Yeah, we get discounts on our insurance by participating in the health initiatives and they all track it through the Fitbit. So got to have one of these things strapped to my wrist now.
0: Yeah, just one more step toward uh, the 1984 future where everything is tracked and quantified by our overlord masters.
1: <sighs> oh, well, what are we going to do?
0: <laughs> uh, Complain about it because that's what we do.
1: Yep, complain into the void of the internet. <laughs> so
0: speaking of complaining, we've just wasted about 45 minutes with me trying to figure out how to video record this conversation because this was supposed to be our first audio and video portion for our YouTube page and... Freaking fracking Hufflepuffin', I can't figure out how to make it work.
1: Well, luckily, we have a lot of talented people in the RPG Academy Network and on staff at the RPG Academy faculty, so I bet we can ask someone to help.
0: Yeah, uh, we'll have to do that, but I'll I'll mention it to the audience. If anyone out there is familiar with OBS and capturing the incoming audio, and, like, basically everything's working except the system doesn't recognize Caleb talking, so it would be a one-sided conversation. So that's not going to be fun.
1: I mean, that's pretty much normal anyway, right?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, true. But I mean, sometimes I have other guests on and uh, they might want to talk. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so uh, this is going to be faculty meeting episode 106, session zero. Uh, but the reason that we gather for these faculty meetings is so that Caleb and I can share some of the experience he and I have gleaned for our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Caleb, what is that one piece of advice?
1: If you're having fun, you're doing it right.
0: That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you play, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. And with all that out of the way, do we have any announcements this morning? Attention faculty,
1: Maniacs, here are today's announcements. Well, I suppose it is always an announcement that uh, Catacon twenty seventeen is looming on the horizon.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's growing ever larger in the um, Michael sphere that it's starting to already start to weigh down uh, on on me. Constantly trying to make sure that it's ready to go. Uh, still working out a few details, but I, I think we're ready couple other announcements. Again, just a reminder that we do have a Twitch show now every Monday, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, lawful and orderly on our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash the RPG Academy. Uh, This is basically headed up by Scott, uh, along with Andrew Young and uh, some other people that I don't know that well, but they do, and that's all that matters. And it's a light fantasy police procedural, where the audience gets to vote at the end on whether or not the characters did a good enough job investigating and whether or not the guilty person, or I should say the person that's caught is found guilty or not. As of of this recording, only one episode's come out, but I really enjoyed it, I thought it was a good time. Uh, It is also uploaded to our YouTube channel. And I will announce that uh, I'm going to be starting, if we can figure out how, a streaming game that is going to be using the 13th Age rule set, but we're gonna play through the Pathfinder Adventure Path Curse of the Crimson Throne. Uh, We're recording this mid-January. I expect that show to launch in February. I've actually figured out how to record everybody locally, so that actually isn't a problem. It's actually much easier to do that, so it's just a matter of trying to figure out how to get Caleb recorded. So uh, any other announcements from you, Caleb?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Awesome. So before we get into today's general assembly, uh, how can our listeners get a hold of us if they would like to?
1: Well, you can always find us on Twitter. I am at the Caleb G and Michael is at the RPG Academy. Or you can email us, uh, Michael at the RPG Academy.com, Caleb at the RPG Academy.com, or the show, podcast at the RPG Academy.com. And sometimes Michael forwards those emails to me. Sometimes he doesn't. It's always a game.
0: Yeah, I usually do if I think about it. It's just sometimes because I do that thing where I will think about what I'm going to do. And then later, I will think that I did that thing,
1: and then you will send me a frantic email and a Twitter and another Twitter asking what's going on with the thing, and I never received the thing it's a, It's a great game
0: yeah it's it's fun you know it's 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 our relationship, it's just how it works.
1: I feel like Peter Banning in Hook when the Lost Boys are just throwing things at his head, fair, and then there's that weird flower that sniffs me in an uncomfortable way. <laughs>
0: All right, so let's start today's episode official with Gamers' Lexicon. Today's Gamers' Lexicon is...
1: Session Zero.
0: All right, so what's a Session Zero? I know we have talked about them a lot. I have talked about why they're necessary a lot. And I think we have touched on many times what they are and how to do them. But this entire episode is going to be devoted specifically to covering a Session Zero. So let's start with sort of a broad definition. What is a Session Zero?
1: I think the easiest way to define it is that a Session Zero is a tabletop RPG pregame. The only kind of pregaming I will approve and authorize. It's everything you talk about before the game actually starts. It includes discussion of the world, character generation, specific rules to use or avoid at the table. It's a time to establish the social contract between the GM and the players and to outline any acceptable or unacceptable behavior.
0: So to, to boil that down, I will take your job for a moment. I will summarize you. Is It's getting everyone on the same page. It's making sure that, that what we think of sometimes as unwritten rules are clearly stated. How are characters going to be generated? Are we going to roll dice? Are we going to use stat buy? Are we going to use standard array? What rules are allowed as far as like what sources? You know, D&D 5e has very limited, but if you're playing a different game like 3.5 or Pathfinder, there are dozens if not hundreds of sources plus online resources. Are all those free game or not? Uh, what level are you going to start at? Uh, is there any restrictions on the races or the classes or the backgrounds or... Uh, You know, is this going to be a modified homebrew world where everyone has psionics or there's no magic? All those things that make sure that the game starts well, you cover in a session zero. And I think with that explanation out of the way, let's move into the General Assembly. Attention faculty, students, and Academaniacs, please proceed to the auditorium for a General Assembly. And we're gonna kinda break down each of these components in a little bit of detail and maybe give some examples. So the first thing that I will say is that a session zero does not actually have to be the same format as your session one. It can be online, it can be through a series of uh, social media conversations, emails back and forth. It can even be a one-on-one with each player between the DM and that player. But the idea is that before the first actual game, all of these issues or potential issues have been discussed and everyone is on the same page.
1: And I think it's also worthwhile to note that Session Zero, even though we say session and we think of a game session, so a a time we're sitting around the table together, it does not mean that it's the format it has to take. Like Michael just said, this can be a series of Emails or chats or whatever. It could also take a very long time. We've done session zeros that lasted weeks and months preparing for games. It can also be very quick. If you are at a convention game, for example, even though you're probably walking into that game with pre-gen characters or you're prepared for what's happening, you should take five minutes and do a, quote, session zero just to get everyone on the same page and establish the rules, the guidelines, and exactly what's happening. Just because we are not sitting down to have a game session where we are preparing doesn't mean we don't still do the same things. These are very important things to happen before any game starts. So no matter how they happen, they need to happen.
0: Yeah, and I, and I almost agree, or almost think I should say, that at con games they're, they're almost even more important in the respect that you're dealing with strangers most of the time, um, it, you know, I think we've touched on this before, but if you're doing a convention game, your description needs to be done well. And I think your description should include things like adults only, adult content, um, you know, the, the system, any homebrew rules, any uh, changes to the, the typical setting. All of that should be included in the description so that people know what they're getting into when they show up. But it's still really good to reinforce that. But if you're going to start a campaign, this is something that's going to go potentially for years. You also want to make sure that that's done. But the, the only reason I'll caveat that is, like with my home, group, my home group particularly, we've now played together for, some of us, for four years. Most of us, I think, three plus. So they kind of understand how I run games. So if we're going to do a session zero, the, the only thing I need to cover is if there's anything different than what we normally would do. Uh, So if you're starting a campaign for the first time, you know, you use meetup.com or Facebook or or whatever, you know, you went to a convention and you met some new people and you decided to run a game, that first one probably needs to be very thorough and very detailed. And maybe, again, it goes over and back and forth through email a lot to give you plenty of time. But once you've established your social norms in your group and you normally do standard array, if you decide once, hey, let's this time, let's roll right down the line 3D6 because I think that would be awesome that you only really need to discuss the changes to what your norms are.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of different things that could potentially be part of a Session Zero, and the context of the game changes what is important to focus on. In a home game where you've played with everyone for four or five years, yeah, just highlight the changes. In a convention game where you are handing your players pre-generated characters... You don't need to talk about character gen, but you do need to talk about what's acceptable to do at the table and what is not acceptable to do at the table. All of these elements are part of session zero. It's just when they matter to focus on.
0: So let's talk a little bit about uh, the session zero that we did for Rott Iron, uh, just to give sort of like almost like an extreme example of how this can go. So the first thing that we did is we actually had a pitch session where. You and I, and I think Scott also, all three of us came to the table with at least one. I think I had two or three and you had a couple of ideas for what what kind of campaign we wanted to run. And we kind of gave an elevator pitch and we, we tried to sell the world and the idea to the players while... You know, ours was because we are considering that we want to try to create a show that other people are going to listen to is a little bit different than I think your normal game. I do like the idea of the DM trying to sell the world, partly because that shows the excitement that they have. Because I'm much more likely to buy into a game when I see that that DM is really excited about this world. They they have a lot of energy built up. I I have a feeling that's going to be a a better game, a more, you know, a a game that's going to be ran with a lot of passion than something that you're like, well, it's the it's same as always, but you know no dwarves or something. So I really like the idea of that. I also like the idea that if you're going pitch to the, pitch the idea, then you've thought it through. It's almost like you kind of have to have made some decisions. You kind of have to have solidified some decisions before you're ready to do that pitch. So by asking them to do the pitch, it made sure that we knew exactly what we were going to do. And if it was a wishy-washy pitch, That's probably why some of the ones that didn't get chosen didn't get chosen.
1: Now, this was a slightly different context because, one, we were trying to figure out the game that would be the best source of entertainment for the podcast. So that context will not happen at your typical home game table. But the context is still there of picking a campaign that you are excited to run and play in. The other context that was a little bit different here was that... We didn't know who was going to run this game. Part of our pitch meeting, part of the session zero, was sharing our ideas as GM and seeing, frankly, who had the best one and who had the one that we were most interested to play. That's why we all brought a couple different ideas to the table and pitched them. Now, at your home game, if, say, you are the GM all the time... Maybe your pitch will be, hey, I have this idea for a session, or I have this idea for a session. Which do you guys think would be more entertaining for you? So a little bit different context, but like Michael said, the important part is that when you bring an idea to the table, it's fleshed out. Now, it may not be written action by action from start to finish, but you have an idea. You have a a concept of the three-act structure of the story, or at least a couple things that are going to happen so that you as a GM are prepared, you're excited, you're ready to roll, and you can share that interest with your players.
0: Correct. I I would agree with that. Um, I guess the only thing I would touch on is, even if you don't have multiple campaigns that you're thinking of, like you as the DM, if you're the forever DM, and you're like, this is the next campaign I want to run, you still need to be open to to feedback and suggestions. You know, this is still a cooperative game. And, and you know, I still have a lot of that old school mentality that it's the DM's world and the players play in it. I think think it's okay to have that view, though we are moving much more towards a a truly cooperative sort of uh, gaming atmosphere, I think, in general. But even if I come to the table with this is what my vision is, someone else may say, well, what if we add this detail? Or what if we change this a little bit? Or what, what if I don't like that? And I'm not saying that the DM has to agree to that, but I think they should be open to the idea of that collaboration so that everyone feels like they have helped create the world as long as the players aren't trying to do something that because they don't know some of the other things would actually break it. You know, I've used the example before, and even in like Dark Discovery, I was very clear there are no such thing as drow in my world. There's something I call darklings, which are similar to drow, and they are extinct. Okay, it's very important to the backstory that there was a war hundreds of years ago between the elves and the Darklings and the Darklings were wiped out to a man no Darklings have been seen in generations. So if a player said, hey, can I play a Darkling? No, no you cannot (laughs) because it is extremely important to the setting that those don't exist. So it's not like I'm trying to shut down their agency, but that just doesn't make sense. Same thing if I'm in a world that says there is no magic. This is, there's absolutely no magic. Can I play a wizard? No, no, you cannot. That's not to say you can't play maybe a mad scientist if that's the type of setting that maybe can create inventions that have spell-like effects. You know, maybe I can work with that player and give them sort of what they want. But if I'm in a world that has no psionics, you can't play a psionicist.
1: So there's definitely a couple things to unpack here, uh, starting from last to first. We talk a lot on this show about Don't say no. But as Michael just said, sometimes there are situations where it seems like you have to say no. This is where player buy in is important, and this is why session zero is so important. In a session zero, if you take your time to say, This is the story I want to tell, and we are cooperatively creating and building these details, if I clarify as one of my details, there is no magic, and everyone's on board with that, a situation really shouldn't pop up where someone is upset that they can't play a wizard or sorcerer because we've all bought in. Now, someone could still say, well, I have this idea for a character, and it seems to kind of contradict the core, so can we work together to figure out how I can do it? That's not saying no, that's finding a good creative compromise and cooperatively building the story. You're improving it because you're now working together to say something or to create something. As a great example here, I was running a home game a few years ago and the exact same thing. There was no magic. That was a a rule I had made as I as I defined this post-apocalyptic setting and a player came to me and he said, well, I want to take this variant monk class, and the feats and the abilities it gives me are all spell like abilities to summon the elements. Is there a way that I could make this work? So he wasn't just saying, This is what I want to play, too bad, and I had forcing me to say no. He approached me in a way that indicated he wanted to help build the story and define some other details. And long story short, we ended up working it out. His abilities still functioned like they did, but they were a form of technology instead of magic, like it said in the book. So a great example of a way to compromise. And even though you are essentially removing an option, you're still finding ways to make it interesting and engaging and allow your players to have their agency in what they want to do. Going a further step backwards, wrought iron is a perfect example of how to move from the pitch to the actual game and how much everything changes there. The pitch of wrought iron was very descriptive, but a little bit vague. And after that initial pitch, and we agreed on that, we opened up a Google document and we just started typing. We all started sharing details. We all started building elements of the world. There are elements in that original Google Doc that I, as a GM, never would have thought of because it just wasn't on my creative radar. But when Scott and Michael and Matthew were bringing them up, they all merged together. They all became part of this concept and made the story, in my opinion, much better. So Session Zero effectively needs to move beyond establishing the foundation, establishing the guidelines of the game, and incorporate creative elements, sharing your world building, sharing your details. A lot of times we say that a tabletop game is an interactive first draft of a novel. The more ideas you have going into that first draft, the better it's going to be. And the ideas that I come up with by myself are not as good as the ideas we collaboratively come up with. So it's very, very important to encourage that type of collaboration in a session zero as well.
0: I agree. I, I think there are probably some situations where there is less collaboration. And, sure, and that's sure. okay. You know, if that's the the relationship you have with your DM, and they run a good game then that I'm okay with it you know if i if i have a dm that i really enjoy i really look up to and they're like hey this is the game i want to run and this is the guidelines like you have to be a dwarf you have to be a dwarf from this clan and you have to i don't know you have to be a wizard but trust me this game is going to be awesome because i i have all this you know all these ideas i'm going to say okay like I, you know i guess this is more to the players out there that uh, sometimes just trust your gm trust your dm that they are going to try to create a game that is awesome and they may put some restrictions on you but i've actually found sometimes those restrictions can be uh an impetus for for creation like okay you're you're limiting some of my choices but how can i use those choices still to to still define my character in an interesting way and i'm you know i guess just just go with it on occasion, you know, like don't fight tooth and nail. And and if you really wanted to play a wizard, you were super excited about playing a wizard and the DMs like no wizards in this campaign. Just put that wizard in your back pocket. You know, m- maybe maybe next time you can play a wizard or what happens a lot in my games is that there's going to be something that changes in the game that opens up new possibilities. So I may say there's no magic in this world that almost guarantees that by level three you have found a thing that returns magic to the world like that's part of the game is that magic has returned so maybe at level 3 you can bring in your wizard and change characters or your your character can become a wizard and we might play with the rules a little bit so that you're as powerful as you should be even though you you jumped at level 3 so you know if you trust your dm then trust your dm so I want to I take a little bit of a step back because I think you got into some things I want to touch on later. I want to hit a few more ideas of the sort of restrictions that a DM might place on a new campaign and then also some of those other considerations that, that need to go into that session zero. So again, so we've touched on it. So you may play in a game that has no magic. I've, I've run, I played in a game where there's no clerical magic that I said all the gods were dead so there was no such thing as divine magic. I've played in games where magic was feared so if someone played a wizard or a sorcerer, they were either, you know, feared and outright rejected, or tried to be killed, or they were very powerful because uh, because of that nature. Like like the peasants would would revere them if they could cast even like a minor cantrip. So it, it made a big difference in the game how it, how it traditionally ran. I've ran games with no dwarves. I've ran games where everyone had to be a particular race. I've ran D and D games in space. D and D games modern times with guns with lightsabers. Uh, you know, I've I've done all these sort of crazy things that are tacked on to your traditional D&D game. Have you ever ran or played in a game that had some sort of crazy or unusual restrictions?
1: Everything I've done pretty much goes along with these tropey concepts you've been mentioning here. I haven't done anything totally different than anything you've already explained. But I think it's worthwhile to note two things. One, obviously we're focusing on D&D with that fantasy backdrop. Other games have other contextual elements that you can play with with these rules. So don't think that just because we're saying in fantasy world, no magic, specific races, specific classes, you're not limited to those kind of choices. If you are playing a modern game or a sci-fi game, you can still come up with these same rules and restrictions to fit an interesting story. And also... These are the tropes. These are the things. When you think of what's a weird rule that I can add to my D&D game, almost always the very first thing you think to screw around with is magic and races. But you could do something totally different. What if you played a game where martial classes were outlawed? Everyone always, everyone always throws around, no magic, no magic. What about no fighting? No rogues? No warriors? <laughs> How would that impact your game? Don't play to the tropes. Think of what makes a good story. A couple other things before we move on are
0: some other of the sort of social contract decisions that I think need to be made. A big one for me is death. I I don't like resurrection. It's like like you rarely ever die in my games, but if you die, you're dead. You know, it's I I can count on one hand the number of times I've allowed a character to be resurrected and come back. Even though that's part of the game, it's not part of the game that Michael runs. So, again, my group knows that. But if I'm starting a new group, then they need to understand that in my game, you know, I'm going to limit resurrection. So even though it's on the spell list, your cleric can't get it. Uh, True resurrection, gone from my world. That just does not happen. But that's something I need to be very clear about. What happens if a player misses the game? Do you go ahead and play with one missing? What about if you have two? Uh, What happens to their character? Do they get controlled by another player? Do they get controlled by the DM, or do do they do that thing where they just kind of fade into the background and they're quote unquote there, but they just nothing happens to them? And as long as at least one character survives, they are assumed to survive. Or if you know if there's a TPK, their character is considered to be dead as well. Um, is there a time limit on this game? Like, do you know? Do I anticipate this to be a forever campaign that we're going to play until? We, you know, we just get tired of playing it or I have this huge, you know, final arc uh, envision that we will happen. Or is it just like, hey, this is going to be a level one through eight and then it's going to be done. Like I have a particular story that I see being told uh, and and that's it. So what are some other social considerations that you can think of that we might want to cover in a session zero?
1: Well, anything about source material, what rules you are using or allowing. You kind of touched on that with some of the spells that you typically don't allow things about which races and classes are allowed or rare or just not allowed, anything that would impact some of the flavor elements of a particular class. For example, paladins typically are the divine fist, right? They, they represent a, a cleric or a deity, and they are the martial aspect of that religion. Well, if you want to have paladins be more like cops in your game where they are defending the concept of law and justice and not a deity, that's something you need to outline and define. And I think this is a great time for player input to be accepted and discussed, whether or not you accept it, whether or not you find a compromise. When you're outlining these weird, but when you're outlying changes, when you're outlying table rules, situations, this is where people can discuss things. I don't think this should be a open and closed conversation. This should be a here's what my plan is, but you should be open to discussion about it.
0: Yes. Kind of thinking back on what we've talked about. Essentially, there's two different aspects to the session zero we want to talk about the game. What type of game is it? Is the pitch even about this, the game itself? Like, hey, I really want to play 13th Age, and this is the campaign I want to run. But normally you play Pathfinder, or normally you play Fate. Maybe you want to play Fate. So, part of that session zero is selling the game, selling the campaign, selling your vision for the types of stories or type of story that you plan on running this game, and getting the player buy in so that they're excited about that. Then you want to cover any in game considerations. Again, how are wizards treated? How are martial characters treated? Are, you know, is resurrection a thing? Whatever the case may be, you know, these classes are allowed, these are not. This is how magic works. This is how psionic works, blah, blah, blah. And then you have the sort of in-person social contract stuff. How often are we playing? Is this once a week? Is it twice a month? Is it once a year? Uh, you know, what day of the week? What time are we going to get started? Uh, who who brings the beer? Who Who buys pizza? Does the DM have to kick in for that? If you play with maps and minis, whose responsibility is to to kick in money for that type of stuff? Uh, What happens if you miss the game? What happens to your character? How is XP handled? You know, is it going to be uh, individually based based on performance? Is it going to be, uh, you know, milestones? Everyone stays at the same level. If your character dies and you have to bring in a new character, are they the same level or do they come in at a lower level? Can you bequeath your gear to your new character or is it lootable by the current characters? Anything that you can think of that might cause conflict where someone's like, hey, I want my plus two sword back that my character just died and my new character wants it. And someone else is like, "Uh, too bad, dude, you're not here yet. This is mine. You know, all those things, if you can work them out before they happen, you're much more likely to have a successful game, successful campaign.
1: And beyond that, we need to also focus on behaviors at the table this is something that might come up more at a convention game but it's also very important to discuss with your home game your home players of course on the flip side of that statement the longer you play together the more you know this stuff already and it's less important to go over but for example the x card and the extension of that what type of activities narrations and behaviors are acceptable or unacceptable at the table if this is something you are going to incorporate and respect you need to say that and you need to get everyone on board with that one of the worst things that can happen is you as the gm have the expectation that the x card is viable for your players but they don't know that or they're playing with strangers, and even though the X card is supposed to be a little bit undefined—not exactly anonymous, but non-specific—to why it is being used, there's still an aspect of well, if I'm playing with these people, I don't know. I just want to have a good game. If I'm into, if I'm grabbing the X card, then that is a little bit intimidating. It's, it's still a little bit saying I don't want to go forward. There's still a little bit of a stigma to it. So you need to make that safe you need to make that understood you also need to talk about things like what the players expect from the gm do they want voices and music and sound effects do they expect full role play of every situation or is it just okay to say i talk to the guy about what's happening and i make a knowledge check or i make a gather info check is that okay as a player as a gm What's good for you? What do we want to see happen at the table? And sometimes we also have to talk about things like how do we roll dice? Are dice rollers okay? Do we all want physical dice? Is it okay if I grab my book? Is it okay if I grab a book on my tablet? What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? Things like that. Is it okay to pass notes to the GM or other players? Is it okay to have secrets from the players or the other characters? Is it okay to do PvP in contested roles? Is that something that's allowed or not allowed? There's all these little fiddly bits that you as a GM might just say, well, I've always had this habit for years. I'm good to go. But your players might not have. Or maybe you want to introduce something new. Or maybe you want to change something that's been a bad habit at the table. This is where, in a session zero, you've got to have all these conversations.
0: And I think... Because we keep coming up with more examples of things that we would add to a Session Zero, probably wouldn't be a bad idea for a DM, if you're someone who DMs regularly, to put together a list of your common held rules and beliefs and social norms, you know, PvP, dice rolling, all that stuff, and just kind of have that list. And when you're talking to your players, whether they be brand new or, you know, established, remind them, you know, here's sort of the guidelines that I go by. And then again, if you're having a session zero with people you played with for years, you can just say, oh, normally I don't allow resurrections. But in this game, there's actually a much more higher divinity presence. So resurrections are actually very common. Sometimes they can just happen randomly. Like some, you know, some guy could be in a field hoeing his potatoes, have a heart attack, and then he just stands back up two minutes later. Like it just, it's part of the game world. So you only have to cover the exceptions, not every one of the rules. Uh, But yeah, I think that's actually a really good idea to put together a list of, these are my norms, and if there's anything on that list you don't agree with, we need to talk about it, unless there's an exception, we're always going to go by these.
1: And let's say you use Google Drive or Dropbox, and you have a shared folder for your game, and you have a, a folder, a document for notes, and players can put their want lists or character sheets or something in there maybe the first thing you do whenever you open up one of these shared folders for a new game is just copy-paste your rules, your social contract, your GM terms and conditions, so to speak, just as a reminder for everyone. Okay. I think that's a good idea as well. All right, so let's move on to
0: the next point. So once all of those have been covered and established and worked out through conversation and everyone is on the same page, now it's time to build characters. For me, part of that the pitch is to talk about this is the type of game I envision as playing. You know, is it a globe-trekking, Indiana Jones-style pulp adventure? Or is it more of a dark city noir where you're going to be constantly in shadows and rainy dark nights and in diners at 2 a.m. talking to contacts? Is it going to be, uh, you know, jumping astral plane to astral plane, high magic? Those considerations should help you identify the types of characters that are going to fit well into the types of stories that the DM envisions playing. For me, the, one of the biggest things that comes out of a Session Zero, again, because I have an established group and most of those social norms are already understood, is creating characters that fit the game. Now, I mentioned how I like for them to, to intertwine their backstories. And I know in your notes, you're like, well, that's not really necessary. It, it depends on the type of game that you're playing. But even if they're not intertwined, like, okay, I know you and you know me, and this is why we get together, I still think the backstories can be intertwined in the setting. Like, if if my character says, you know, I was a general in the war that, that lasted, you know, for 27 years between these two countries, and then you create a character, maybe you want to include what you did in that war. You know, that war is now part of the world, so did you ignore the war? Were you on one side or the other? Did you play both sides? Are you from a foreign land and you had no idea that war happened? So I still think it's important that when people going around the table talking about their backstories that they layer on each other so that they all make sense together. Though I am a fan of building them actually together.
1: I totally get what you're saying there and I agree with you. I just consider those kind of different focuses. When you wrote in your notes figure out how all these backstories are worked together my understanding of those words in that sentence was this is how we all know each other and sometimes that's great sometimes that's really lame we've all seen horrible movies tv shows and video games where the surprise twist was that all the characters knew each other they just forgot or something dumb like that something really tropey Sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's too cheesy.
0: I would say, though, 90% of the time, I think it's better to do that, even if it is cheesy, just because it it solves so many problems where you have the person who's like, I don't know these people, I don't care anything about them, why should I care if they get captured and then they just, you know, take off. So, yes, it's one of those things where I agree that it is kind of cheesy, but I'm okay with that cheese because I think it helps the game out.
1: Well, that's also where... As we are having this session zero, we need to have this be part of the discussion. If I, as a player, am bringing a character to the table that doesn't know the other characters, part of the social contract is that even though I'm in my make-believe world, as I'm playing pretend, I'm pretending that I don't know you sitting across the table from me that we've been playing this game together for five years, there needs to be a buy-in my character needs to have some reason to maybe break that suspension of disbelief a little bit and buy into the situation. And that's something that the GM needs to bring up. If as a GM, I see a player that says, I really want to play this wanderer. Uh, She's an outsider. She doesn't know anyone. She's just coming through town. And my player has a great story for this character. I need to say, that's awesome. We're definitely going to do that but how are you going to buy into the situation? Because even though you're bringing in these characters from all over, a thing is happening. There needs to be a reason that you all participate in this thing. Just as cheesy and tropey as it is for everyone to know each other, it's equally cheesy and tropey to have that, well, I'm a stranger. Uh, Why would I defend you? Why would I come to your aid? That's just as bad. There needs to be a middle ground. And it's important, in the session zero to clarify that before the game starts. Because if you ignore it, it's going to come up in the game and it's going to slam the brakes on any momentum of storytelling and it's going to kind of ruin the fun a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. I think that sort of my understanding of those words was that we're all sitting around the table whether it be real table, virtual, or just email chains. And everyone's talking about the character they want to play. And I don't buy into the, well, we need a fighter, we need a cleric, we need a rogue, we need a wizard. Like, I, I don't care anything about that. I hope that none of the players feel that that's part of Session Zero, is that they need to, to work that out. I, and get, Unless you really want to. Like, if that's that's how you enjoy the game, then fine. But I, I don't think that's necessary to say, okay, we have to have each type of, of class. But I mean more along the lines of, okay, this is the type of character that I am. And someone else was playing a character that is the opposite of that. So, again, going back to the last time, we have the Cleric of Death and the Paladin of Light. We both know that we're going to play those characters. How are we going to deal with that? And I think that should be part of Session Zero, where they say, Okay, I believe this is evil, so how am I going to figure out a way for my character to be okay with your character? And it can be as dumb, and as tropey, and as silly, and as contrived as you want it to be, but you need to decide before the game starts that you are okay with it, or within the game world, something's going to happen. I am cursed. I do not see zombies. Okay, then as far as you know, invisible helpers are helping the cleric, quote-unquote cleric, fight his battles, because you just are unable to see zombies. That could be a fun little thing. At some point, it's probably going to come up because it'll be a funny moment when you're fighting zombies and you can't see them. Maybe you put two and two together at level 10 and it's a funny thing or it's a it's a dramatic moment, whatever. But even if you're saying, okay, these two characters are brother and sister. That's how they know each other. My character is going to be the stranger that they meet at the end. But by the end of the g- session one, we're all going to be together. Like you said, you have to have that buy-in. You have to go, okay... We're going to find a way to make this work, even if it seems silly at the time, because we have to. Because if you're making a character that's just not going to participate in the game, then you're making a bad character. At least you're making a bad character for this particular D&D game, not maybe a bad character for a novel or a story or a different game. But we have to work those out. Again, I'm a big fan of saying I'm related to you. My cousin saved your, your mother in the war, so you feel like you owe me. And you owe, I owe you money, so you're not going to let me die until I pay you back. We all know each other. We're all invested in each other's success. Go. But you don't have to do it that way. But there has to be that buy-in of we're going to make it work no matter what.
1: Yeah, just like always, everything we're talking about here, it's not a definite black and white yes and no situation. These are just our different perspectives. I absolutely agree with you, Michael, that sometimes it's very necessary and totally fine to have all of those family neighborhood connections. There's nothing wrong with it. I just don't think it's required, but sometimes it works totally fine. It makes for a great game. What I do like, though, is when you explained yourself the first time around, you were saying this is more filtering all of our world concepts together. If I, as a player, say I was a general in a war, then that war becomes a detail that you can use in your character backstory. Maybe we didn't fight side by side, but you can incorporate the war. This is what my character did during the war. This is what my character thought during the war. Intertwining those details is building the world and making for a more interesting, more entertaining, more engaging story. That kind of thing Absolutely makes for a better game, and I'm 100% behind that.
0: And obviously that that is more for a homebrew world where things like that are not already established. If someone's playing in Forgotten Realms in a certain time period, then it's it's harder to add in those details. Though then Forgotten Realms is a big place. There could be a skirmish over somewhere between two cultures that that could still work. Uh, But the other thing that we did during Rot-Iron that I thought was really, really fun, and has definitely helped that game, is we also established kind of the relationships before we started playing, like we already knew that RME was somewhat gullible, uh, that she was very devout, that she believed everything that the church said was, was quote unquote gospel. And that Scott's character, Dane would use that to manipulate her in what we, in funny ways. Like we, we knew going in, okay, that is our established relationship that I am the lovable, gullible person. And Dane will manipulate me to get his way. And, I, I like the fact that we had already established that relationship. That's not to say you can't develop them in-game and you know after the first couple of sessions you see that these sort of relationships are blossoming in a certain way. But I think to start at ground zero running, it helped for us to establish those relationships early.
1: Yeah. Basically you are pre-gaming some of the jokes. You're preparing some of the interesting situations. It's like warming up for improv. There are plenty of people that are super talented and can just hit the stage and go. But for the rest of us, it helps to warm up. It helps to get ready. If you create in your session zero, hey, what if we have this fun dynamic between our characters? You can then prepare what you're going to do in game. You can prepare some of your role playing. Role playing is all about confidence. And if you can confidently say, yeah, I know that when we interact, we are always super, super serious. We never joke. We're always very literal. We're straight to the point. You can be ready for that. You can get yourself geared up for that type of interaction. Or if you say, oh, yeah, we're always joking. We're never serious. It's always quipping and puns back and forth. You can get ready for that. You can get yourself in the right headspace for that type of performance. So that's a really good thing to do. I don't think that is ruining the game or not letting things happen organically. You're preparing yourself to perform better and to entertain each other better.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you said before, and I know we've said it many times before that when you're playing the game, it's the first draft of a novel. But by working through some of these details beforehand, you can get past the first draft part, which no offense, sometimes the first draft isn't very good, you know? So maybe a joke that happens in game it's organic, but maybe it's not. It doesn't land as well as a joke that you may have written two or three times and edited. So in our discussions in Rod Iron, which, was, like you said, went, went on for weeks back and forth. It wasn't like I just, you know, we, we, we found Army, we found Dane, and we found that relationship day one. It evolved through the conversations back and forth. And and as we established our characters better, what made sense. And then we, we came up with a little thing that Dane would always quote scripture. But he would always he basically would make it up an army wouldn't know that it was made up scripture. You know, I I don't know that Scott would have been prepared to do that if he didn't know ahead of time that was something that was going to happen. And I don't know that that would have happened in the game. And it's one of my favorite things is 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 watching Scott try to make up scripture on the spot that makes sense for the moment. Because he's still doing that in on the moment, but he knew going in that he was going to have to do that
1: and on a little bit of a meta game level here not meta game as in playing above the table but meta within the reality of the game when rod iron started when that session 1 kicked off you were all playing characters that essentially had known each other for years whether or not they grew up together whether or not they had just been friends for years they had established relationships What was happening during Session Zero was defining those established relationships. It's like we were role-playing from the first time you guys met, and we were just fast-forwarding, and we were just finding the highlights of how those relationships blossomed. So landing on this joke between Army and Dane, even though Army didn't know it was a joke, was something that would have happened if these two people had met in their teens, and grown up together for a few years. It's just like every inside joke you have with your group of friends in the real world. It's just, in a tabletop game, we have to fast-forward all that stuff. So coming up with it during a session zero means you are making better, more organic, more realistic characters because you're taking the time to say, here's what happened before we roll initiative on day one.
0: And that's not – in our case, like you said, we were characters that in the story knew each other for years before the quote-unquote story started. You know, our characters knew each other. I don't think we've established exactly, but Dane and I basically knew each other from from children. Mm -hmm. We literally grew up together, and Cassandra has been on the island for many years. So I don't think it's – it's not much to say we knew each other 20 years before the camera turned on to us. But that's not to say that you still can't do that if you're even starting level one and nobody knows each other. But you can say, you know, my character really likes this and this other character, well, this is how I view that. So probably what will happen over time is this will happen. And you can still plan it out. You can kind of let it happen, but having an idea of where you're going might make it, when, it, when the joke finally lands or when the bit finally lands or when the dramatic moment finally arrives, it can still be exciting for everybody. I I. There's a there's a very tiny part of me that's like, well, I just want to see it happen for real, but the m- majority of me is like, but this will make a better game if we're all on board. Same reason why I don't like secrets between players. Same reason, because I want everybody working toward that moment when the secret comes out and it's awesome. And if no one else knows it, then we're not going to have as, the, the, the same amount of chance of building toward that moment.
1: Yeah, there is there is always the hope that Things will just happen organically the way you want as a GM, but you also have to recognize that as a GM, you are engineering this story. Yes, you're doing it cooperatively. Yes, you may not be writing it scene for scene, but it's your responsibility to move that story forward. There are many things in wrought iron that I have debated heavily about as a GM wouldn't it be cool to see the look on their faces when they realize X? But as a GM, I'm also worried, well, what if they don't realize it? Have they lost something in the story? Is that just a thing for me? Where's the line? So what you're doing, during session zero, what we're talking about here, you're not taking anything away. You're setting yourself up for success later on.
0: Okay. So, the last thing that I'll mention about building characters together is, for me, this does not mean actually rolling the stats or, or, or building them out, choosing your equipment, choosing your feet, choosing your spells. That, for me, is definitely something that can be done individually. Or it can be done again. You can email back and forth that kind of, back, you know, like, hey, I'm a wizard. These are the types of spells that I'm taking. You know, if you want to metagame a little bit and say, well, you know, why don't you take complimentary spells or complimentary feats or whatever, that's completely fine. But I don't think that needs time at the table when basically you got five or six people all with their nose in a book writing on their own individual stuff. You know, to me, the point of Association Zero is you're collaborating And to me, that's probably the part that doesn't need to be collaborative or, you know, minimally. But the last thing that I want to touch on and something that I've done the last couple times I've done a Session Zero is create locations and NPCs as a group. Now, again, if you're playing in Forgotten Realms, then most of that's already done for you. You don't really need to create locations. You still can, um, but you, you may not have the same need. But if you're playing in a homebrew world, then you may say, so we're going to start in this town. And I know that there's a town nearby, but I know nothing about it because it's not important to the story just yet. Um, so why don't we create that town or create the name of it or, or some, something about it? And my advice is to create these things like fate. I just think that that makes it so much simpler. And I think it makes a very vibrant world and NPCs where and, and what I do, I would go back and forth and I would say, OK, Nick, give me the high concept of an NPC. And Nick may say something, the one-armed blacksmith who lost his arm while fighting a dragon. Sweet. Awesome. Now we have a, a very vivid image of a blacksmith in the town. They only have one arm. They used to be this great hero. They probably have backstory and, you know, stories they can share. And then I would ask a different player, okay, Travis, what is their trouble? They're in debt to a crime lord for gambling. Okay, so now we've established that we have a crime lord that they run gambling and that this guy's addicted to it and it's causing problems. So that might affect the the story where maybe he's not around to make them armor or people are showing up at his uh, Smithy while you're walking through town. And that could be a a scene or an encounter that happens. And I would just kind of go around the table and we would say, okay, you create someone with a high concept, you create them with a trouble and we may give them one more trait. If we really feel like they need to be fleshed out or maybe like a relationship who knows that person best? Out of the characters, you know, who, who are they closely aligned to, either positively or negatively? Like, they, they absolutely hate Sarah's character. Okay, cool. Now we have three things we know about the blacksmith. All three of them are great fodder for me as a DM to work with. And you can create a city the same way. Okay, this is the port city of so-and-so, and it is where this thing happened. It's most well known for this. Okay, their trouble is they're currently under a famine, and the other thing is that they don't allow magic. All right, so now I know three things about the city that will definitely help me as a GM create stories around it. So if, if you're not already using these sessions to create, I highly suggest you do it, and then I highly suggest you use that method to do so.
1: I very much agree with this. I think this is a great way to get everyone involved early on. You can also... You can also do this kind of thing while you are playing the game. I know it's a little bit off topic, but I think it's important to remind everyone that this type of situation does not stop after Session Zero. It needs to continue and you need to keep that momentum going, but taking the time when you are not under the pressure of actually playing the game during Session Zero is a fantastic place to cooperatively define and come up with these story elements. Frequently in my games, I will instruct my players to make up a couple NPCs and locations, but doing it in this round-robin, fate-esque collaboration I think is a lot better. You make a character. Okay, you tell me something about that character. You tell me something about how the city reacts to that character you tell me someone else in the city that has a thought about this character every detail builds on each other and it's more fun
0: yeah again i I agree and during game i like to do this but i know some gms don't they don't want to or they don't feel comfortable uh, with that type of collaboration of the of the world once it started that's fine uh, you don't absolutely have to do this, but if you're the type of DM that does enjoy that or is open to trying it, I think it's a very valuable way to do it. Um, just like, again, if you do it beforehand, you have the opportunity to do some editing. So you may not necessarily have first draft material. You may get the second or third draft material. But during the game, I'm also a big fan of, of asking people, what's the name of this town? All right, what's it's known for? What's the first thing you see when you walk into town? What 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 draws your eye? And then they may say this huge temple to a, a fallen god. Freaking awesome! I had no idea that was gonna be there, but it's awesome. And by granny, we're gonna use it. So for me as a DM, I enjoy that. Um, if you're the type of DM that doesn't, that's totally fine as well. But there's, no, there's not to say that you can't draw on your players before the game starts to help you build things, or even in between sessions. You know, maybe you don't feel comfortable on the fly, but you may say, hey, next week I'm pretty sure you guys are gonna go to this new town what are some things about the town that your characters have heard of? Because then you always have the op- option that it's not true. So maybe you know that it's a dangerous place. You've heard all these rumors about how people get into fights all the time in the streets over honor. But in truth, it's actually a very well patrolled city. Or you can take it at face value. If one of the players says, yeah, it's known that this great wizard died there and there's a monument to them. Okay, I can use that. that. That actually is there. So you have the option if you ask them for player information of it being true, not true, or somewhat true.
1: This is also how you cheat as a GM. (laughs) If you are out of ideas, get your players to give you ideas. Whether or not you go with it, these are fresh ideas that get your juices flowing. Like Michael just said in that example, there was a, a, a statue to a fallen wizard. Okay, I didn't have that idea, I don't like it that much, but what if there was a statue to a fallen hero? Great, okay, I'm going to go with that instead. You don't have to do what your players say if they're giving you ideas and inspiration. I love what Michael just said about what did they hear about the town. May not be true, but what did they hear? What's their perception going into the town? Because now they're just giving you what they expect to happen, and you have the ability as a GM to say, okay, what am I doing with the story? Am I rewarding them for coming up with this? Am I fulfilling their perceptive prophecy of what's going to happen? Does this become a self-fulfilling prophecy? Or am I going to totally flip it on its head and do something different? Is this going to be a surprise twist thing? Now you've just got more fodder to make a more entertaining story.
0: Absolutely. So I think that pretty much wraps up everything that I had for Session Zero. Did you have anything else you wanted to add, Caleb?
1: No, I think we've covered everything. We've rehashed a couple of ideas many times. We've repeated ourselves in a couple different ways. The Session Zero is always super important. It is a the best place to get the creative juices flowing, get everyone on the same page for what type of game they expect, and figure out, what everyone has to do to make that game happen.
0: Absolutely. And, and that's why we wanted to dedicate an entire episode to it. Even though we've touched on it many times, we wanted just to say this was our Session Zero episode. In the future, if someone asks, we can always refer back to it. And I'm sure there's still things that we missed. So as always, we will throw it to you, our loyal audience, our Catamaniacs. If you do something different in a Session Zero, if there's something that you would change or add to our list, Please let us know, tweet at us, email us, leave it in the comments of this episode, and we may revisit it in the uh, future. But with that, we will close up this general assembly. This one kind of went on a little bit long, so I think this will be all that we cover today. We'll move into the last steps here in a second. But I actually did want to revisit one topic recently. We, we had a conversation about RAI versus RAW, and one of our listeners, uh, Scott Hardy, uh, didn't take issue, but he he doesn't think that we did a great job of... Kind of talking about exactly what the difference between those are. Uh, And his example was that rules as written, handing something to another person is a free action. So I could hand you a backpack, I could hand you a coin, I could hand you an arrow. That's a free action by the rules. But then you can take that to an absurd level where let's say you line up a thousand people in a row Technically, if I hand you that that arrow, it's a free action. You can then hand it to the next person. It's a free action So we could actually move that arrow through a thousand people by the rules and that's okay Clearly the rules as intended is that there's certain actions that are so minuscule that you can do them and it doesn't take up Your move in your attack, but it would be okay for the DM to say that's not what the rules meant I'm not gonna let you do hands across America and move the magic MacGuffin from the kingdom of all to the palace of Nerethyltep across the, the country.
1: Pointing out the absurdity with an absurd example. Okay, I'll give you that.
0: So, Scott, first of all, thank you for listening. Uh, secondly, thank you for sending in uh, your comments. I, I do appreciate the fact that you listen and that you wanted to try to better clarify than, than we did what we were actually trying to talk about. Because that's what we do here. We just talk about stuff. We don't actually give good advice. But with that, we will move on to the end of the show. Uh, We have one new patron who has joined the ranks since the last time we met, and that is Grant McHeron. Or McHeron? Close enough. Grant, thank you so much for joining us as a patron. Uh, Your monthly pledge goes a long way in supporting our show. If anyone else out there would like to become a patron, please go over to patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. Literally for as little as $1 a month, it makes a huge difference in what we're able to do. Uh, we talked at the beginning of the episode about how I'm commiserating that I can't seem to get the video audio portion to work. Uh, but a substantial amount of our Patreon money over the last couple months has gone to getting new equipment, getting video cameras in the basement so that I can start live streaming our games, uh, getting things set up so that we can start doing that. And, you know, that money, that's what it goes to. It helps us get new equipment, better equipment pay for things to help market ourselves so that we can grow. And we really appreciate everyone for what they've done to support us. So thank you, Grant, for joining that team. Uh, Unfortunately, we have no new five-star reviews to read. However, we did get an amazing email from one of our listeners in Finland. uh, Miko Mikola, and again, I'm sure I pronounced that terribly, sent us a fantastic email. And I can't thank you enough, Miko, for... Sending this, you know, again, reviews are great. They help us in the algorithms. But knowing that we've made a connection with someone and that we've helped inspire them in some way to get back into this hobby that we love so much, it is very heartwarming. So once again, thank you so much for sharing your story. And please continue to send us in the emails. Let us know how things are going. And if you have any specific questions, we will be happy to answer them in private or on the show if we can. So uh, any last words from you, Caleb, before we go?
1: Nope, I'm good.
0: Fantastic. So this has been Michael.
1: And this has been Caleb.
0: And I now declare this meeting adjourned. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy network. If you enjoy what we do here,